Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by AARP Financial Ambassador Jean Chatsky who is the founder and CEO of HerMoney.com and the coaching programs Finance Fix and Investing Fix. She is also the host of the podcast Her Money with Jean Chatsky and the co-host of the national radio show Everyday Wealth. Jean, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to have you on to discuss financial security. Dr. Theon, it is a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, in today's episode, we're going to talk about financial security. And it seems as though inflation is impacting everyone's wallet, especially here in California, where we see some of the highest prices in the nation. In clear terms, can you touch more on just what's happening with the economy right now? Yeah, so inflation is starting to taper off a little bit, but make no mistake, we are still feeling it in a very major way. And as far as the economy is concerned, the Federal Reserve is involved in trying to fight this. Over the course of 2022, they gave us a succession of interest rate hikes that if you look at them cumulatively equal about four and a quarter percent in interest rate hikes. That will eventually, it looks like, work to wrestle inflation to the ground, but it is going to take time. And as a result, you're right. When Californians are heading to the grocery store, when they are looking at their health care expenses, if they have to rent an apartment, they are paying more money right now than they certainly did a year ago. Living our lives is costing us more money than it did before. And that means that you've got to be thoughtful about how you're using your dollars and your other resources and come up with strategies for ways to make your money go further or your other assets if you've got them. That leads us right into how this is impacting particularly those on fixed incomes or older adults. So what type of actions can folks take to protect themselves from inflation and offset increasing costs? You mentioned interest rates are going up and maybe that'll help with inflation a bit. But what can we do right now to protect ourselves from some of these things that have come up that are impacting our finances? 
I am a really big fan of controlling the things that you can control. I think that controlling what you can control is actually the key to building a more resilient life and certainly a more resilient financial life. So let's talk about what things are controllable when it comes to our spending. During the pandemic, we went through a good year, for some people more than a year, where We didn't want to go out of the house. We didn't want to go to the grocery store. We didn't want to go to restaurants. We were cooking at home. We were not going to the gym. We were walking outside or using whatever exercise equipment that we had at home. All of those things, when you look back at them, were money-saving strategies. Now, we were not putting them into place because they were money-saving strategies at the time. We were putting them into place because we wanted to protect ourselves from COVID. But if you can recapture some of those behaviors, it'll go a very, very long way to taming the effect that inflation has on your household. So for example, if you're going to the grocery store, go once a week, go with a list, think about what you're cooking during the week. Think about the fact that you want to use your leftovers rather than throwing your leftovers away. We have a tremendous amount of food waste in this country. But if you can be a little bit more thoughtful about what you're making and if you've got some extra portions, just putting them in the freezer so that you've got another dinner on the same dime, that is very, very helpful. Oh, those are great pointers. I love how you're talking about that because during COVID, you're absolutely right. I know I changed the way I did things. I was cooking at home. I was making meals and even sharing them with people. I did a lot of outdoor exercise instead of gym type things because I wanted to get out in some kind of way and we were all isolated, but I wanted to at least be out with nature, with something, you know? Yeah. And so that really saved a lot. But some of the other things you're mentioning in terms of shopping with that grocery list and things like that so that we don't waste and do wasteful activity, it's about controlling some habits. It is. And it's about being intentional. It's about watching where your money is going. One statistic that I refer to a decent amount is the huge number of subscription services that American households have. At one point, on average, we had 24 subscriptions. Wow. If you can go through where your money is going and actually follow the breadcrumbs a little bit, if you can start to look at what's coming in, what's going out, and where it's going, you put yourself back into the position of being able to direct where you want your money to go. It's not happening so unconsciously, and that puts you back in control. I know a lot of your listeners are fortunate enough to be homeowners at this point. You know, interestingly, when we talk about inflation, Owning a home that you've either paid off or that you bought before interest rates went up is a nice buffer against inflation. If you're still sitting with a mortgage at a three-ish percent interest rate or something between three and four, 
That's a fantastic buffer. That is something that you want to hold on to. But you may also want to think about how you can use your housing to bring in additional dollars. If your kids have left the home or they're leaving the home and you've got an additional room that you could rent out or space above the garage, that's money that you could think about bringing in. Now you're jumping into the, how do we bring in money? I want to go back to that spending part that you were talking about and make sure that our listeners understand in clear terms to take a look at what we're spending our money on. I think you brought up a wonderful point about the number of subscriptions that people have overall. I know I deal with that. I went through my bill spending and saw some subscriptions I forgot I had for the longest time. They've just been piling up on my credit card and I would just pay that bill off every month. Well, when eliminating them, I have really been able to find some lost money. So when we think about how we spend and money spending as a habit, as an expert in the field, what would you say is the most challenging part of changing our behavior when it comes to our finances? Oh, I think in a word, it's probably FOMO, right? It's the fear of missing out. It's the fact that we're human and delayed gratification is really, really hard, Human beings are wired for immediate gratification. We see something, we want that something because of the way money moves these days, rather than with cash and checks, with clicks and swipes and dips and taps. It goes so, so quickly that we don't stop to think about it. We just see it, we want it, we get it. And you do that enough times or on repeat, as with some of those subscriptions, and all of a sudden your budget is busted. The best way to rein that in is to force yourself to start paying attention. If you've got a spouse or a partner to start talking about where is our money going? Let's look at where our money's going. Let's track where our money's going. You don't have to track forever, but taking a little bit of time to just really watch the flows of funds can help you understand what you value and what you don't value. And that can wrestle some of this impulse spending to the ground a little bit. Sounds like great ways to get us started on this journey of changing our behavior. You've talked about being intentional and then paying attention to what we're doing. These are wonderful tips. And I love how you said FOMO, the fear of missing out. Some of my subscriptions were me being afraid that I was going to miss out on this opportunity because I had gotten this deal when I got the subscription. And it's like, well, if I let it go now, if I have to come back, I won't have the same deal. Yes. But I'm paying for this and I'm not using it right now. So what if I never come back and use it? I had to grapple with that FOMO. And that is really something, a behavior that I think we have to pay attention to and be intentional about. So Thank you for that tip as well. Yeah. The other thing, before we wrap up that line of thought, human beings too are very susceptible to sales. We see something on sale and it almost appears to us like if we don't grab it right away, as you were saying about some of those subscriptions, if we don't grab it right away, it is not going to be there tomorrow. I went through at the new year, one of my mini resolutions, I went through my email box and I just 
unsubscribed to all of those merchants, retailers, services that kept sending me emails about their sales and about their new products. And the result is I have a lot more time in the morning because I'm not going through and clicking on these things. But I also find that I'm not as susceptible to following the breadcrumbs and spending money that I didn't even mean to spend. Yes, yes. Very important. So you've given us some great, great tips. Control what we can. Take a look at some of the things that we did during COVID in terms of how we shop and grocery shopping, exercising, go through our subscriptions, unsubscribe, pay attention and be intentional. Now, because our audience, of course, AARP 50 plus, let's dive more into Social Security and retirement savings. Social Security provides benefits to more than 65 million people, and those monthly payments have an enormous impact on older Americans' financial health. Who is eligible for Social Security, and how does someone sign up? Great question. I don't get this question often enough. So in a general sense, workers qualify for Social Security if they have accrued 40 or more social security credits. And basically you can earn while you're working four credits a year. So 40 credits translates into about 10 years of employment, of paying into the social security system. There's some people who are not eligible, some government employees, some railroad employees are not eligible for social security. There are also other people who may not be eligible because they've moved to another country and they don't have the ability to collect social security benefits. But in general, it's anybody who has been working and has earned 40 or more social security credits. You get your social security, you sign up either over the phone at a social security office or online. But the most important thing that you can do right now is go to the website of Social Security and open an account so that you can start to see how much money you're going to have coming your way. You can start to pay attention to your Social Security statements. You can think about when you want to take it, if you want to delay taking it so that perhaps you can get a little bit more. It's a really, really good first step. Okay, that is fantastic. So Looking at Social Security, we already know you accrue 40 or more credits. You can get four credits per year, and that amounts to about 10 years of employment. Now, is Social Security only for retired workers? No, and I say that hesitatingly because, look, you can get Social Security benefits if you are not retired. But if you're younger than your full retirement age and you earn more than certain thresholds, your benefits will be reduced because you're earning. Now, the amount that your benefits are reduced by isn't lost forever. Your benefits will increase at your full retirement age to account for benefits that were 
held back because you had those earlier earnings. But it's definitely something to keep in mind, particularly because we know that retirement's not what it used to be and that people who are quote unquote retired are now telling us they want to work and they don't just want to work because they want to bring in money, but they want to work because they want to stay connected and active and do something that gives them purpose and makes them feel valued and valuable. So this is definitely something to keep in mind. And as you go through and start paying attention to your social security statement, these things will become clearer. Great. I dived into the social security topic because many of our listeners are on fixed incomes and many are looking for incomes. And so as we look at what Social Security might provide for our listeners, how will they know what they may get from Social Security benefits? I understand AARP has a calculator where you may be able to get an estimate. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, AARP has amazing social security tools. And so your listeners should by all means check them out because the big misconception about social security is that social security is simple. It is not simple. And because of people's various life situations, whether you and your spouse had a significant earnings difference, whether you had a significant wage difference, if you were widowed, if you were divorced, all of these change the calculus of when you may want to file for your social security, when it's optimal for you and your spouse, if you have one, to take social security. And so it is a a very individual question how much you'll get from social security, but I would encourage you to use the AARP's calculator and read the content that they have on the site about social security because it really does simplify things. Now, recently, the average social security check is about $1,600. And we know one of the nice things about Social Security, many people don't understand, but Social Security is an annuity. It's a form of income that will pay out over your entire rest of life once you started to take it. And it's an annuity with an inflation rider. So you get a cost of living adjustment based on what's going on with inflation. And so for people who have already started taking their social security, they're getting a bump in their benefits right now. That's pretty significant because inflation has been running so hot. That's one of the advantages to having social security. But it was never meant to provide all the support for somebody. Typically, it provides about 40% of the support that a person needs to live on. So thinking of that, that Social Security may provide about 40% of that support, two-part question, is there a way to boost Social Security retirement benefits for those who may not have put in the entire 10 years or have all their credits? And then the other question would be, what else can we do to increase our retirement living spending? Yeah, both great questions. Let's take them one by one, okay? So boosting your social security benefits, there are a couple of things that you can do. The first is to work longer and pay 
into the social security system. So as I said, you can be eligible for social security once you've got that 40 credits, which means working as few as 10 years, but your benefit amount, the amount that you're going to take, it's based on the average of your 35 highest earning years. And if you have years where you didn't work, those are zeros that are going to be averaged in. So the more you earn, the more you pay into the system, the higher your benefit is going to be. So that's the first strategy, working more and paying more into the system. The second strategy is waiting to claim your benefits. So people are eligible to claim their benefits at age 62, but you can wait until 70. And for every year that you wait between age 62 and age 70, you get an increase in your benefits of roughly 8%. And that's enormous, right? If you think about investing your money, putting your money into the market and letting it work for you. A guaranteed 8% return, people would salivate for that, right? So waiting to take your benefits is a very, very smart thing to do. You want to wait until your full retirement age, pretty much across the board. And if you can wait even longer, waiting until age 70 gets you those delayed retirement credits that can boost your payout even more. Now, I am not suggesting that if you need the money to you know, put food on the table to pay your Medicare premiums that you suffer through. We do what we need to do, but that is another strategy that you want to consider. And then when it comes to boosting your retirement income overall, I mean, the levers that we look at are our own savings and what we do with those savings. We are in this country so much more responsible for our own retirements than any generation that came before us because earlier generations had pensions, right? And pensions have largely been replaced by the 401k system, 403bs, 457s, defined benefit plans that you pay into that grow and hopefully your employer helps you. And when you retire, you've got that money. So providing for your own retirement income is a matter of amassing as much as you can, making sure that you've invested that money as wisely as possible so that it is working as hard for you as you're working for yourself. And then being strategic when it comes to making that money last. I like the idea As I mentioned, Social Security is an annuity, right? And it's an annuity that covers about 40% of what we know people are going to need. When you look at your fixed costs in retirement, I like the idea of having guaranteed income for life that will cover those fixed costs, which for many people means taking a chunk of that money that you have amassed yourself and converting it 
into a paycheck for retirement, which you can often do using an annuity. Annuities can be complicated, but they're getting simpler and we're starting to see them thanks to some changes in legislation popping up in 401ks and other retirement accounts. And then you invest the rest of your money so that it can continue to grow for you. I'm so glad that you talked about annuities as well as another form of retirement. And we could do a whole podcast on annuities and insurance and other vehicles that many times we don't always have access to because we just don't have the knowledge and the awareness of things like that. So thank you for bringing that up. Actually, if you could just explain a little bit in clear terms, what is an annuity so that people understand? what that is. Sure. In very, very simple terms, an annuity is an investment that provides an income stream for life. When we talk about the simplest annuities, what we're talking about are what's called immediate pay annuities. So you take a chunk of money that you have saved in your retirement and you use it to buy yourself a paycheck that will last for the rest of your life. Now, when interest rates were at zero, that was a harder argument to make because the payout on annuities is somewhat dependent on those interest rates. But now that interest rates are starting to climb, people are actually starting to see better returns on these products. And as I said, I think we are going to start to get more of an education about the idea of having income for life, this sort of replacement for a pension that we've been lacking because the SECURE Act and the SECURE 2.0 Act have cleared the way for employers to offer these vehicles through your 401k. This has been a wonderful conversation and we're going to have to have you back because I still have a million questions to ask. But before we wrap up, I want to ask a question on behalf of our family caregivers who are helping loved ones manage their finances. Often family caregivers struggle to help their loved ones access financial resources and benefits, and they might even dip into their own finances when trying to help with care. This could be so overwhelming and stressful. What advice would you have for family caregivers to avoid some of the financial stress that comes from caring for a loved one? Yeah, I mean, you are on to something so important, and I hope that you'll do a whole show on this. And I'm happy to come back and talk to you about this, because what we know from AARP research is that these family caregivers are not just dipping into their pockets, they're dipping into their pockets to the tune of about $7,000 a year. And that is a big amount of money when you are also struggling to try to put your kids through college and plan for your own retirement. Financial stress is a big problem for these family caregivers. Stress overall is a big problem for these family caregivers. And so I would say try to take a good, honest look at your own financial situation and see how much you can 
afford to contribute to this family picture. Even if you are the primary caregiver, that doesn't mean that you have to go it alone financially. If there are other people in the family, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, you can extend the ranks, it is okay to throw up the white flag and acknowledge that you need the whole village to rally around this person for whom you're providing care. They will be grateful that you are doing the lion's share of the work. It is fine to ask for help. There also are a lot of resources available out there that many people don't know that they can access. There's a wonderful tool called benefitscheckup.org that I would encourage all family caregivers to go ahead and look at for the benefit of the the person for whom they're providing care. And finally, if you're not providing care today, but you're looking down the road and you're thinking, this is coming to me, have the conversation right now with your relative about what's there as far as resources and whether you can do anything right now in order to make the picture better down the road. Well, those are wonderful tips. And and you mentioned BenefitsCare.org? Benefits Checkup. BenefitsCheckup.org. We also have AARP.org forward slash caregiving for our caregivers. Jean, thank you so much for joining us on episode 15 of In Clear Terms with AARP California. Do you have any last comments or advice you'd like our listeners to know? I have been AARP's financial ambassador now for over a decade. And one of the things that I've learned, and I've learned it as a reporter, is that if you've got a question on pretty much anything relating to your life or your career or your money at this stage in your life, AARP online has resources to help you. The amount of information presented in clear terms on its website is just amazing. So I would say that should be one of the first places you go when you get to Googling at your computer. Well, thank you so much. And you're absolutely right. Even in terms of this, we can go to aarp.org forward slash tools, and you'll find lots of financial tools that can help. Thank you again for joining us. We have had the pleasure of speaking with Jean Chatsky, CEO of HerMoney.com and AARP Financial Ambassador on Financial Security and more. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts and elected officials who can shed light on critical issues on our state. How AARP is working to ensure the voice of those age 50 plus is heard and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms.